0: While the official race has not started, mayoral candidates for the city of Vancouver 2022 election are now being announced in a flurry, three of them in the last week. One of those candidates is here to join me on Coastal Front today. Born and raised in Vancouver, Ken Sim attended several public schools in our great city before moving on to what is now the Sauter School of Business, obtaining his Bachelor of Commerce degree in finance. Fresh out of school, Ken earned his CPA designation while working at KPMG and then moved on to investment banking with CIBC World Markets. In 2001. Ken pivoted his career to launch the Nurse Next Door Home Care Service. The catalyst to this new business was a result of his pregnant wife, Tina, being on emergency bed rest. I've got that right, Ken? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Today, uh, Nurse Next Door has 200 franchises across North America and Australia and boasts more than 8,000 team members. It's quite an accomplishment. Ken set his sights on local politics when he entered the 2018 race to become mayor here in Vancouver, along with 20 other candidates. We're only a year away, or a little bit more than a year away, and considering this was the closest mayoral race in Vancouver's history, where Ken lost by less than 1,000 votes, he is back to run again. Ken continues to live here in Vancouver with his lovely wife and four sons. Can't imagine how big your grocery bill is, Ken. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks for having me. So, Ken, um, let's start by saying you're not a politician. You're a businessman, clearly, from your, yeah. what I just read. Yeah, um, sure. What has prompted you to want to run and become a politician or go into politics not once but now twice yeah the long
1: story or the short story <laughs> <laughs> it's good the medium story the medium story look i i'm a proud Vancouverite. i grew up here i was born here i moved away a couple of times um but i always wanted to be back here and so i love this city and you, you'll hear that from everyone else by the way um but i i have four kids and none of them see a future for themselves in vancouver and then when you sort of dig down deeper you see how you know everyone has a similar story and a lot of people are uh, leaving our town and you know it doesn't have to be that way i've spoken with over 10,000 people in the city since the last election and the common thing i hear over and over again despite all the things that are going well in our city people feel that vancouver's lost its way and so i truly believe we can find it again and that's why i'm signing up again for uh round two
0: okay great i was quite impressed by our pre uh pre-interview call a couple days ago you got me pretty inspired i must say um let's start off with abc some people were joking yesterday it was about always be closing party it's the uh did you hear that oh i saw it (laughs) you saw it oh yeah so there's a new party that's been formed as of yesterday's announcement called A Better City. And, and look, let's call it what
1: it is. It's a party that you started, if I got that right. I mean, kind of. Okay. Okay, look. Well, let's clear let, the air on that. Let's be super authentic. And I, I yeah. think that's what people want to call, uh, well, not just politicians, but people in general. Yeah. Uh, we planted a seed. There is about three or four of us that, uh, you know, after the last last election, we planted a seed um, of this idea of a party that, you know, represents the bulk of Vancouverites. And then tw- about a dozen people took that idea and ran with it. And so, yeah, sure. I know some of the people that are on that board, um, but I'm actually independent of that organization. Okay. And, um, and the proof's in the pudding. Um, I'm actually just a member like uh, anyone else who decides to join. And I will have to run in a nomination process that will be open, fair, and transparent. And anyone in the city could run in that nomination process. So I'm not gonna be appointed or acclaimed. Okay. Um, I have to fight for it. Okay. Um, first of all, I guess my question would be like,
0: why have a party? I mean, you have other candidates in the past, including the mayor, you know, technically was not part of a party. Yep. Um, So why even have a party? Why not just run as Ken Sim?
1: People, a lot of people know who you are. Yep. Um, why be part of a party? That's a great question. <clears throat> you know, I think you have to ask, what is the goal? Is the goal to be mayor? Then if the goal was just to be mayor, sure i actually would run as an independent because it would be a lot easier Um, but that's not the goal and don't get me wrong i want to be mayor and i'm gonna work as hard as i can to be mayor and i'm not like i i really honor the office of mayor but to affect meaningful change you actually need a team and you need five or six like-minded people and I'm not talking about yes people, and I'm not talking about um, similar people that are, um, you know, that agree with your ideology per se, but people that are pragmatic, that ask the right questions, and they're doing the job for the right reasons. And so while we hope that uh, as soon as you uh, win an election, everyone in that chamber will um, are those types of individuals, I think history has showed that that's not necessarily the case. And so um, if we want to uh, recruit and um, get you know these type of individuals elected, the, the best way to do that is um, having a banner to run with because it's really hard to get a bunch of people elected as independents because people won't know who they are tr- and they true. won't get the time. Pure fact. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Statistically speaking, you have a chance they're much lower if you run as an independent. So uh, before we jump into some other topics, which will include uh, real estate development in Vancouver, um, as well as your vision and any other things you might want to talk about, to finish off about the NPA, why didn't you just go back and run under the NPA again? Yeah,
1: well, there's there's about three or four reasons. And, sure. you know, full disclosure here, um, I was a lifelong NPA supporter and okay. I believed in the brand so much I actually ran as the mayoral candidate. Okay, and and I I truly believed back in the day the NPA stood for nonpartisan, um, and things changed, and so uh, they elected a new board that uh, I don't share the same core values with. Um, you can read about them in the media, but uh, you know they take a very uh, right wing position when it comes to social issues and. That's just not me. It never has been. It never will be uh, yeah. me. So um, as a matter of principle, I, I couldn't um, run with that organization.
0: Okay. So now we cover that. Thank you. Yeah. Let's jump into your vision. You've got a view of what you want to see. Uh, okay, you, you, let's say you did win this race and you do get the nomination through Better City. And maybe you've got a few people under there, yeah. that uh, same <clears throat> banner that are also supporting city council. Like, what is your vision for the city today? What do you think um, is missing today? And what would you like to accomplish? Wow, that's a big question. Yeah, sure. Well, let's yeah. just open it up. Yeah. Let's, yeah.
1: Uh, well, let's uh, take a different spin on this because everyone talks about all the issues that we have to address, the challenges, and we'll talk about that. But I truly believe Vancouver can be and will be the best city on the planet in the not so distant future and future generations to come. Like we have so many opportunities in front of us. We are so fortunate that we have a highly educated, diverse um, of talent in our city. We live in the right time zone. We're on the west coast where all the leading technology companies are changing the world like they're they're just down the street. Um, we're the gateway to Asia we have an amazing movie industry. we are the number two. Um, center when it comes to augmented reality and virtual reality. We have a huge gaming industry, the tourism industry. We can be a center of excellence for environmental companies that are changing the world. Uh, healthcare, I sit on the board of St. Paul's Foundation. I see what's going on with the new hospital. We could be a center of excellence worldwide. Those are just some of the things that we can do. And I truly believe that if if we have the right people you know, in the right conversations, doing the right things, we can actually have Vancouver be the best city on the planet. And we have all this natural beauty as well. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we can talk about all the the potential. Obviously, we have some issues to triage, you know. And And what would
0: be the big ones in your mind?
1: Yeah. Everyone knows about them or it seems like everyone knows about them. Housing. Causing attainability, we have the opioid crisis. You know, homelessness, mental health, addictions, and it's you know ripping through a lot of our neighborhoods. It's not just the downtown east side thing anymore. Strathcona, Yale Town, even Kits, and it's spreading out throughout the city. Um, And then you have um, our businesses. A lot of them are suffering, and unfortunately, some of them aren't going to make it. And and a lot of them are self-inflicted wounds uh, from the city. And we can do better. And then the environment, and that's a global thing. I think we should all be thinking about the environment, um, regardless of if you're left or right, or in a, an environmentalist or not. Um, it's a big issue. And so those are the four things that we really need to triage. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you know, Vancouverites want a mayor or council or government that just tries to fix the problems like we have so much potential. Let's talk about that. So I think our current politicians either don't see it or don't know how to do it or are so stuck in the issues that are significant that we have to triage that they can't even look at it. I
0: completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree with that comment. I think that we have that at both the federal, the provincial and the municipal level. Mm-hmm. Just too much fix too much fixation on these few acute and not not to not to discredit how important they are Mm -hmm. but these acute issues that we are kind of missing the boat on so many other Mm -hmm. opportunities so let's but so let's get in those opportunities in a minute let's let's just unpack a little few minutes here those four issues if we can okay so let's start with the homelessness issue um, and the affordability I mean it goes from people who are literally living on the streets and in tents to people who are you know not likely ever going to be homeless Mm -hmm. but they can't really afford to buy a place sure so when we talk about affordability, there's an affordability issue or a housing issue for most of the spectrum of the population. Sure. So l- let's start maybe with the very bottom, people who are in places like Strathcona Park. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these politicians, election cycle after election cycle, saying we're going to fix that problem. It's not like anybody says denies that there's a problem, yeah. but it seems like no one has a fix. How are you going to be any different?
1: Well, I think you know, it's a great question. And the reality is I'm not going to be promising things that we can't fix. Right. Right. And housing attainability is a very complex issue that it's multifaceted. And there are a lot of things that are outside of the city's control that, um, you know, we won't be able to fix like interest rates, the economy, uh, COVID, right. Those are things that we can't uh, deal with. And then when it comes to homelessness, um, you know, you know, you really have to look at the province and the feds for a lot of support, you know, uh, through tax policy, for example, like replacement property rules on building rental accommodations to actually just general funding for these units. But there are a lot of things we can do at the city level to help with that solution. Um, I'll give you an example to build a new unit, uh, either uh, a condo or a home, 25 to 54% of the cost of that unit to build is due to permitting fees and delays at the city. And then on top of it, with the delays, not only do you have additional costs, but things that should come on to market, let's say within literally five days to let's say a year or two might get stretched out from three years to eight to 15 to forever. Mm -hmm. And that's just, those are self-inflicted wounds that we at the city can resolve so you're bringing up Ken a topic that I'm incredibly
0: interested in passionate about and a lot of our listeners are interested in as well um, in fact in preparation of this conversation I talked to a couple of the city's pretty significant developers because mm-hmm. I happen to know them yeah. and the feedback I got was almost always the same answer mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the answers were like when I asked them, like, what, why is it is so hard? Like, what's what's the difficulty of of doing real estate development in Vancouver? Whether you're building a below below what do they call below market rental all rental building, or you're doing a high rise condo business yeah. uh, building. So one of the things they said was there's no certainty around a project. Like there's just it's completely at the seams of the whims of the the day, like the the how the council is feeling that day. They said when they go to build in Burnaby. But they go to build in North Van. First of all, they get early engagement by city council and mayor to get a sense of whether a project is even something that's in line with the vision of the city mm-hmm. of the municipality. Um and then they also talked a lot about what you just said, which is it's so such a lengthy process from acquisition of land to sale or renting out those those units that a lot of them have said to me, we just don't build in Vancouver anymore. Yeah. We'll go build in Burnaby and Richmond and North Vancouver all day long. Yeah. But until Vancouver becomes a less risky proposition for us, we can't buy a piece of land today with the hope of selling or renting it out six and eight years from now, build that into our model and figure out how to make a profit. It's completely impossible. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard this. I hear it all the time. Right. So how do you fix that problem? Where is the problem? Is it staff? Is it
1: council? Is it a little bit of both? Is Is it a problem that can't even be fixed? Oh, no. The problem can be fixed. It's not that hard. Uh, we just need political courage and political will. Um, I don't want to throw the staff, uh, at the city under the bus, very far from it. Um, we actually have amazing people at the city. Uh, it's a broken system. So if you or I worked at the city in that system, I can guarantee you, we would fail as well. So it's, okay. it's, it's not the people. Um, we really do need to fix the process. Um, when it comes to, uh, council, um, you know, I think we have to go on a case by case basis, but you have to remember, uh, we do have, um, you know, politicians that worry about whether or not they're going to get reelected. And so sometimes they may not make the optimal decision because they're making a decision based on whether or not they get reelected. And so that that's an issue. I don't think it's just Vancouver. I think it's uh, elsewhere. Um, but at a better city and the people that we're going to be bringing on, if I do win the nomination, um, they're going to be people that have courage who aren't afraid to be fired. And so they'll actually make the right decisions. And they won't be beholden to any one developer or special in- interest group. So you know it will be done for the right reasons. Okay. Um, but how do we fix it? We change the process. Mm-hmm. You know. You, uh,
0: now- and is the pro- but is the process really a, a, a council and mayor decision? Or is that senior levels of staff who are have created a bureaucratic system I know I know you don't want to throw them under the bus but candidly yeah. it seems to me like part of the issue here is the staff maybe not the people who are working there every day plugging away making 60 70,000 bucks but it's the $300,000 paid city manager who's not really
1: managed this very well Yeah. At the end of the day, it comes down to leadership. And now the great great thing is, well, it's not a great thing. The situation we have right now is the city manager and the, you know, the director of planning, they both left. Right. Okay. So now we have, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. Okay. And so it comes down to leadership at the end of the day. And what people have to realize a mayor and council, um, their role really should be like a board of directors. You provide the vision for where the organization is going and then you hire the right CEO, or in this case, city manager, and you provide that um, individual with a lot of resources and you support them. And then if things are going well, great. If things aren't going well, you reassess, you provide more support or you make a change. Okay. And so, That's what we need to do at the city. We can talk about processes all day long, but at the end of the day uh, it's up to the city manager. We have to make sure we have the right city manager uh, because like to give you a company uh, example, if I was the chairperson of my company and I had to go into um, talk to the VP finance or the director of technology, we got a big problem there because that's really the responsibility of the CEO. That's right. Right. I shouldn't be jumping in there. And so, you know, while I can share a lot of ideas with you at the end of the day, we have to make sure that we have the right city manager who's a leader who can, you know, see the issue and also, you know, come up with solutions and be humble enough to realize that there are a lot of resources out there. Um, you know, people wanting to help with great ideas. Mm -hmm. So we are, um, what about a year and a half away from this election? I think
0: 542 days, uh, give or take. With no city manager in place, and no, what we're miss, we're missing both a city manager <clears throat> or what's often referred to as the CAO, uh, in some of the municipalities, okay, um, as well as the is it the city planner? Yeah, um, are both missing. I gotta assume that the that, that those people get hired by the mayor or by city council. Yeah, okay, that's right. So I'm assuming that if you do win this race, the, you're gonna have somebody to work with that you didn't get to have
1: a chance to pick. Yep. is that fair? assumption yeah it's highly probable Uh, i actually hope that's the case because you know i don't i love our city and it's not about me being mayor i i couldn't imagine us going a year and a half without a city manager or director of planning right it'd be bad for the city yeah it's like having a ship at sea with no captain
0: yeah or co-captain Let's go a little bit more deeper into the real estate development world. One of the feedback I got was on what are called CACs. So these are community amenity contributions. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with this, this is a um, sort of a give back that developers have to give back to the city um, for being able to take a, um, I'm going to use an example, like let's say a project where you've got a a gas station that's going to be uh, uh, turned into an 18 story building. Yep. Um, and as I understand one of the, one of the feedback I got from these developers is that the CAC negotiations are incredibly lengthy to the point where I've got one of the developments, one, one of the developers has a fairly massive project down here, downtown Vancouver. There are, they are nine months into these CAC negotiations. Mm-hmm. The same developer told me <clears throat> that in North Vancouver and in Burnaby, it is clear cut. You want to build they have some sort of schedule like you want to build 18 stories versus 44 stories you want to build residential versus commercial rental only versus this is what your cac is and if you want to build rental only below market rental only you have no cac's like you just like you get to build because we need more rental properties so that young people and people who have lower income levels don't have to commute all the way from abbotsford to come and work in the city sure can you comment it on on at all on this area
1: of of CACs? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the example I'll give you is: imagine you have, um, you know, to to use your analogy, a gas station. I, I like to use a house, and the house is, let's say, worth uh, a couple million or three million dollars. Um, but if you get it rezoned, it's worth thirteen million dollars. What the what the city does through the negotiations, in theory, is they say, well, because we rezoned it we should get most of the gain. So whatever, it's like three quarters of the gain, 75% or whatever. And so they take 7.5 million. The person that's selling the house, they see their $3 million house, go to five and a half. Everyone's happy. Okay. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. What happens is you have people, the developer that buys the piece of property and they have no idea what the CAC is going to be. That's right. Yeah. And then, so you you can't, you know, work your pro form results saying, well, I know my place is going to cost, you know, whatever I pay for the land plus another 7 million or whatever. And then I can build in all my other costs and, you know, permits will come in a certain amount of time and la di da da They don't, they don't have any certainty. They don't know how much they should be paying for the cost of the land. They don't know if they're going to get their permits in three months or six years or nine years. And by then the whole world can change. How do you finance these buildings when you have so much uncertainty? Um, in your pro formas. And then the cost of labor can go up. The cost of lumber, which has gone up what, 500% Yeah, in the last I year? I talked
0: a Builder this morning say Yeah, $85 a sheet for a piece of plywood, which a year ago was 45.
1: Yeah. And so you look at all that and then you don't even know if you're going to have demand. Right. And so now we ask these developers, and I know a lot of people in the city don't like developers. I'm more focused on the solutions. If we think we have a housing affordability issue, we need to build. It doesn't really matter who builds it— for profit, not for profit—but it's the same fact pattern. Mm-hmm. And if you make it so complicated and risky for a developer, they're not going to build. And we're seeing it right now. To your point, yeah, people they, they've going, told me
0: that they've left. Yeah, they—they they just simply—they're builders here. Yeah. They actually live in Vancouver, yeah. but they don't build in Vancouver. Yeah. They build in Burnaby. Yeah.
1: In North Van, absolutely, and it's so, insane. and so to to, yeah. to help with that um, issue, like like I said earlier in this uh, podcast, these are self inflicted wounds. What the CAC process should be is, you know, we have certainty. So before a developer buys a piece of pro- property, they should know what the formula is, so yeah, they formula. can go Great. It's so simple. I know what the formula is. This is how much I'm going to pay for the land because this is how much I know I'm going to have to pay the city. Yeah. Great. And then with the permits, there should be certainty. It shouldn't be, well, it's going to be three months to eight years. It should be, look, um, pick pick a number, a year. I actually think we can do way better than that, but let's say it's a year. Great. So now you know how much your land costs. You know you're gonna get your permits in a year. Now you can start planning out, you know, how you're gonna build it, sourcing your raw materials, um, getting your, you know, contractors, your subtrades in line. You can start marketing it because you know. You have way more certainty. It makes it easier. It makes it faster. It makes it less expensive. It's a win-win-win on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. But the only way you do that is if you have people that have courage, who are willing to do this, and they don't get caught up in the politics of you know throwing certain groups under the bus so they get elected. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get elected when you make someone the bad person. Right. And I'm not just talking about developers or, you know, there are all these different groups that are getting thrown under the bus right now yeah. because you have politicians that do the mental math and they say, look, if we create a wedge issue, we can get 53% of the vote and that's enough to win. So, you know, to the hell, to the hell, to the yeah. 47%. Yeah. Um, and that's why our city feels more divided than ever before. Mm-hmm. Can, do you believe that one of the simplest if i were to dumb this
0: down onto the back of a napkin that when you have an affordability of housing issue that do you are you a believer of these of the basic concept of of economics that you have supply and demand and that basically if if you don't have enough supply and you create more supply then then the prices should drop the cost of affordable housing should decline if you have more supply
1: in general yeah i I think it's way more complex than that but you know if if we're going to take a Macroeconomic view of uh, yeah. that issue, then absolutely. What I'm perplexed
0: by is the number of people I'll talk to in the political world who don't think that <clears> way. <throat> they actually think it's more to it, more, there's more to it than that. But I I don't know understand how it can be. I mean, realistically, like if if we have a, a issue of affordable or available housing, mm-hmm. and so the prices keep going higher, and there's certain things we can't control, like you pointed out, like like lim- lumber costs. Mm-hmm. But but if if we can eliminate the risk. From these self-inflicted wounds by make providing more certainty developers and it makes it cheaper for them. And it it also makes the approval process go faster. And now all the developers that I've talked about who weren't developing Vancouver come back and start building here. Mm -hmm. We get more units. We get more and and you can create requirements as a government. You can say, okay, you want to build that? Again, formula-based. You you can't do all like a full story of single family, you know, one what a one bedroom condos. Mm -hmm. So, you know, set a formula, say, if you want to have your project developed faster, you need to have a certain number of two and three bedroom units available.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's that simple. Is it not? It should be. Okay, <laughs> Absolutely. No, it, 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 the crazy thing is it is literally that simple. And if you, and this isn't just for developers, it's for pretty much anyone, you know, mm-hmm. business or non-business people are okay. As long as they have certainty and they can base their decisions based on the goalposts Mm -hmm. and they can decide yes or no. It's the uncertainty that messes everyone up. I'm sure there are going to be some um, individuals that listen to this podcast who will say, well, you know, Ken's saying this because, you know, he has developer friends. Absolutely. I have friends that are developers. I also have friends that are school teachers and social workers. Um, you know, like I have, a, I have a lot of friends in Vancouver. It was really important when we were fundraising, even though we could take big checks from everyone up until three weeks ago when they changed the rules. We made sure that we never took a check bigger than twelve hundred dollars per person. Really? Yep. And good for we, you. And the reason we did that was we wanted to make sure that we were not beholden to anyone and we could make the right decisions. And the city knew that, you know, we're not making decisions because a big developer or a business person or whatever gave us a big check. Sure, right? Uh, They don't need me uh, to, be wealthy. You know, they can go to Burnaby, whatever. They're they're smart. They'll figure it out on their own. And I don't have to sacrifice my life. And the people that are coming on this program as well, um, you know, um, who are going to be running with us, um, they're all doing things for the love of the city. And so it was so important that people realize that we're not beholden to anyone. And so when we make these decisions, when we're having these discussions about how developers in this case are getting thrown under the bus and it's hard, people can say, oh, okay. This is actually an authentic conversation.
0: Mhm. So, I just wanted to Yeah, no, that thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I think
1: it's really important. I didn't know that. So,
0: yeah. I think it's good that you clarify that because I'm sure there will be people who um even after you've said that will still say, Wow, well, no, I can sure. probably got the developers in his back pocket." But um hey, look, this is why we do these conversations, sure. so people can really hear the, the the straight goods from from the person themselves. Yeah. Let's switch from that um conversation to something much more emotional, but still a big topic which is around the opioid overdose you know downtown east side expanded into Kitsilano and Yaletown this issue that continues to grow yep. gains same kind of question had politician <clears throat> after politician at the federal provincial and municipal level say we're going to fix this It doesn't get fixed so what do you want to bring to the table that you think will be different than others in the past who can say that'll actually make something better for our city and for those
1: Poor people who are addicted to drugs and whatnot. Well, let's be honest and let's be bold. So let's be honest. It's not going to get fixed, right? Like we're not going to wave a magic wand and everything's going to disappear. Mm -hmm. Way too complex for that. Um, But let's be bold. Doesn't mean we can't have a significant impact um, on it. And let's be compassionate as well. And so to give you a bit of history, um, I grew up. You know, I I hung out in the downtown east side. My dad managed the Ford buildings, which were the four brick buildings on the northwest corner of Maine and Hastings. And when they used to be office buildings. And so I've been going down there for over 40 years. Uh, And we've taken our, um, you know, family, friends down there to the downtown east side, give out bagels, bananas, socks, feminine hygiene products. But the biggest thing we give is identity. We actually talk with people because everyone down there is someone's son or daughter. Mm -hmm. Okay. And anyone can end up down there. In fact, I've had, uh, I know of five friends that ended up there and two of them died. And so if I know of five, that means there there were hundreds that ended up in the downtown east side. So I, I wanted to give that to you for context. We already have a solution in front of us. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But the best solution is focusing on the four pillars again. And, uh, you know, that, that was something that was championed by uh, Philip Owen, um, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, and, you know, it, we really have to focus on. So, do you want to speak? So, if the listeners aren't familiar with what you're talking about, do you want to speak about the four pillars? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, prevention, uh, treatment, recovery, um, community safety. You know, and so um, at the end of the day, we're, oh, and you know, we're, we're doing great at, um, I shouldn't say we're doing great. We're not actually doing great on the file, but the, the things that we're really missing are, you know, wraparound services or treatment and recovery and then the community safety piece. And so that's why we're having a lot of challenges. And and if you don't have all four pillars working, you know, it's kind of like sitting on a 2 legged stool. You're going to fall down. And so I'll give you an example. Our our mayor is focused on decriminalization of of drugs. Okay, um, I actually support that. Okay, because you know people are dying um, because they're getting poisoned supply, and it's it's not. I truly believe it's not uh, a criminal issue. This is a health care issue, and you can talk to all the different police forces across Canada, and you can talk to all the different health authorities. They would agree. Um, but it doesn't matter if you agree with decriminalization or not. The fact is, we already have de facto decriminalization. If you talk to the Vancouver Police Department, they haven't arrested anyone for simple possession in whatever six, seven years. And so the challenge I have with um, you know our, our current mayor on this one thing, this is political grandstanding, and he's spending a lot of time arguing for something that we already have. We already do, yeah. And so um, and- I think just make sure we're clear here. The Vancouver police do not
0: arrest people who are in possession of small amounts of no, of illegal no. drugs yeah. and the users. Yeah, they're not being treated as criminals in no. a traditional sense anymore.
1: And and they're not criminals. Let's get let's be very clear. If you ever get the chance to speak with someone, not to but with someone in the downtown east side, and you hear their stories, you know you know not to be brutal, but the one that um, always sticks with me is I, I met a lady from Winnipeg. Um, she's in the downtown East side and it's because it was the best place for her. And since the age of four, she was, you know, sexually assaulted by her stepfather every other day. And this is how she self medicates and she's falling through the system. And that could be my sister Mm -hmm. as an example, right? It could happen to anyone. And so, you know, that's where the empathy comes in. And these are individuals that are suffering. So I, I support decriminalization, keep people alive versus having them on a poison supply. But let's not make it a political issue. Let's not use it as political grandstanding and let's get to the work. Okay, great, decriminalization, done. How do we actually focus on treatment and recovery and community safety, right? Like if you look at Strathcona, um, you know, we we had a big issue there. It looks like it's gonna get cleaned up. Um, you know, I, I I hate using the words cleaned up because people, you know, you know, may view that as an insensitive thing. But the, you know, there's going to be progress made on. on there's that. a lot of
0: insensitivity in the political world today. Yeah,
1: but the issue is we have people with mental health addiction issues, uh, people experiencing homelessness, and it could be a combination of um, all three. Um, and then we have a small criminal element in that park. And there, you know, there are a bunch of individuals getting terrorized by a small criminal element and it's spilling out into the neighborhood where the residents, they've lost their neighborhood. They don't feel safe. Their kids mm-hmm. can't play in the park. It's, it's a pretty tough, it's actually a really d- dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, that the beautiful thing that I experienced though, um, cause I actually went down to Strathcona on multiple occasions and I've, you know, been down there with residents to you know figure out what the situation is and you know what the residents have done for the most part i'm sure yeah. there are a couple that you know don't fall in this category but they don't they're not looking um as the people in there as homeless um you know as a problem per se they're like they refer to them as their unhoused neighbors hmm. and they just want the government to come in and deal with a humanitarian crisis, and it's way more complex than just one one crisis. It's actually, and I'm not going to give the person's last name, but uh, and Tony brought this up. Uh, Tony said, "Look, we don't have one crisis. Depending on how many people in the park, we have between 150 and 500 individual crises, and every person needs a different solution. And you know, in such a rich nation." province and city we can do better Mm -hmm. we absolutely can it's shocking so
0: when it comes to you being mayor and you got your role as a mayor in the city and and trying to address this issue what would be one of the first you know they often talk about in politics the first hundred days when it comes to this particular file not 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 necessarily just strathcona but like Mm -hmm. the homelessness and which ties in with also this addiction issues um what would you do? Like, what are some of the really tangible? Can you speak to like, if you who are you going to pick up the fly? Hey, it's Mayor Sim. Yeah, is it? Are you calling Justin? Are you calling John? Who are you calling first? I'm calling everyone.
1: <laughs> no, literally, that's what right. we would do. Um, yeah, you, you call the prime minister, you call the, uh, the premier, you call the, you know, the individuals that are working on any housing file. It, it doesn't matter. Anyone who can come up with a solution. We just lay all our cards on the table and let's be pragmatic about it. It's, uh, I would, and this is what I do in business in my life. It's like, uh, you know, when I look at all of our partners, it's like, how do I make you win? Right. And we just have that on honest conversations. Like, look, we're not, ignorant we know politicians need certain things you know um and i'm fine with that but let's lay the cards on the table we have a huge issue here it's a homeless uh issue we have a mental health and addiction issue a community safety issue we want to solve it this is what the city can provide and how this is what we need from you and how do we facilitate that and what do you need from us and maybe there's a trade-off somewhere else where they're getting a bit of resistance from the city great you know what Let's let's do a trade. That's fine. Sure, as long as you're open about it, you know, we're not going to do any backroom sleazy deals. But you know, if if we have to trade something and be a partner uh, to the province and the feds and anyone else and, and private industry, they could be. You know, let's be innovative here. Let's sure. get everyone involved because we're all on the same boat.
0: Yeah. You know, I saw the uh, donation that um, Peter Wall, who I've never met. Yeah. Um, Peter Wall made a $3 million donation to the, uh, Vancouver police board.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and all sorts of people came out saying, oh, this guy's just trying to buy himself, uh, the next project or whatever. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know the guy, but this guy's so successful. I don't think he needs to pay 3 million bucks to somebody to try and get his next real estate deal approved. Yeah. I actually think it's pretty genuine. And yeah. I think it's unfortunate when that kind of thing comes out in the press, um, and I think to myself, like, if we have an issue around we talked about earlier about affordable housing or even just you know basic housing for people who are homeless, why wouldn't you go to the biggest developers, the people who actually know how to build and say, "Hey, guys, like what do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. Is
1: that something you would do? Absolutely. That's what I've been doing my whole life. Okay. I'll give you an example. in, yeah. uh, in my business career, I travel the world for best practices. So I've I've been to Nagoya in in Japan to see how Toyota makes cars twice. I've seen FedEx, Google, um, Facebook, um, you know, maybe I don't know five thousand different companies. Uh, I'm a futurist. I I go to Singularity University, which is held um, on the NASA site in Cupertino. Uh, I've been to Abundance 360, which is a futurist con- uh, conference, and they talk about you know the blockchain, AI, big data. Um, so I don't try to, you know, create these silos. I go to the world and seek the best solutions. And, you know, we talk to everyone like that. It it just, it's mind boggling that more people don't do it. And we have smart people in our city. Mm -hmm. Why, why are people trying to be the smartest person in the room? Right? Like it's, um, let, let me put it this way. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. That's not my skill. And if, if I'm the smartest person in the room. I think the room's in trouble. Okay. Um, On any file, it's not that I'm ignorant, but on any issue in the city, if we can't find 10 people smarter than me on that issue, we got a problem, right? Like, let's let's talk about the opioid crisis, which I'm acutely aware of, or development or small business. Um, I can study every single minute of every single day between now and the next election. And I shouldn't be as smart as someone who's been in that space for 50 years. Exactly. So why are we trying to be the smartest people in the room? Yeah, bring Um, in the experts. Absolutely. Now we can ask the right questions and we can challenge people on their thought process. And there are other things that we see based on our travels that will have us question what these experts bring to the table. Sure. But let's not try to be the expert.
0: Yeah. Is there anything you've seen that you're like, you've been to another city and you're like, we got to have this in Vancouver. If I become mayor, I'm going to make sure we bring this to our city. Oh yeah. Well, you know. What's one that jumps to, to your mind right now? Anything that yeah. you've seen that really, maybe it's close to home, maybe it's Seattle. I don't know if Seattle's doing something really cool that we're not thinking of it, these
1: days. There are so many different things. For example, um, we could have a really cool nightlife scene, right? You know, go you go to Hong Kong, like Wife as an example. And there in the city where you have skyscrapers everywhere, you actually have this eclectic little neighborhood where, you know, it's a restaurant industry and it turns into a bar industry uh, or bar, um, um, you know, row, whatever, um, in the evening. And so, you know, we can bring that fun city, uh, label back to our city. Like that would be a great example. Or you go to Dubai, uh, two things I saw in Dubai four years ago was they actually have flying cars and no one's even talking about it right really? now. Yeah. Flying cars, flying cars, wow! flying autonomous cars. And so it sounds way out there and people are going to go, well, that's turn Turned to but, Vancouver
0: but, into the Jetsons.
1: But you asked the question <laughs> and what people aren't thinking of, if you take a longer term view of our city, flying cars are coming and are we incorporating that into our plan? Or are we looking back 20 years and saying, okay, this is how we should build. Mm -hmm. Um, also in Dubai, they actually had an incubator. So on the tech space, uh, they actually set up an incubator and a workspace where people, uh, organizations from across the planet. If they were working on something cool, they could apply and they could get space in this incubator. There were five companies from Vancouver in that spot. Why did we lose five companies to Dubai as an example, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, You look at Japan. Um, there are trains. They actually are on the atomic clock. Like they are down to the microsecond. The trains arrive on time, and if you look at um, uh, the spacing, uh, like if you look at the the, the platform, you know you'll see 10:52 in yellow, and 10:54 t- in red, and 10:56 or whatever uh, in orange. And they've actually got got it where you can just line up in those lines, and you know your your train that door is going to open in that space at that time. Like Mm -hmm. they've just made it so simple. So there, we could speak for hours on all the different things that we can bring to our city. And so my meandering life experiences, um, you know, my, my parents were immigrants. They came here. Um, I went to five elementary schools in seven years, not because we're flipping real estate, it's because we couldn't make rent. Right. So we we had a hard time. So I, I, where'd your parents immigrate from Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. So I I have perspective of being a renter. I also have the perspective of being uh, from Vancouver. I also have perspective of working in finance and living in Toronto and London, England and Southern France. I also have perspective of being an entrepreneur, growing a large company. I also have perspective of having, um, you know, uh, a little business in, you know, the restaurant business during a pandemic, uh, and it sucks, by the way. So <laughs> I have that perspective as well. I have the perspective of being a father. Um, I also have the perspective of seeing thousands of companies and you know hundreds of cities and how they work. And so, yeah, it it it, it definitely helps. Yeah. Um,
0: one of the th- let's switch gears and talk for a moment about community safety um, because that was one of the other pillars that you talked about. Sure. Um, and in the last budget um there were four mpa counselors that uh, voted against the budget yep. and then the rest of them including your friend rebecca uh, mm-hmm. uh voted in favor <clears throat> um and that budget included what in my view appeared to be a defund the police movement yep. uh, basically was not giving the vancouver police department any additional funding yet they were f- um, increasing funding in all sorts of other areas, including sure. community and co- cultural grants. Yeah. At a time, candidly, when I would be looking at it, if I was running my business, I'd be like, okay, we're cutting everywhere. Everything gets a 10% cut, yeah. including the police. Yeah. I mean, not to knock the police, but I would just yeah. like, we, we're we're running some major deficits here. Um, or the city can't run a deficit, but they're, you know, they're, we're, financially, we're not in a very good space because of COVID. Sure. So the city chose consciously council mayor, mm-hmm to not increase police funding. Yep. And the part I'm always perplexed by mm-hmm. is that it's almost like implies that in order to have more resources in um, mental health services, wraparound service you talked about, we have to defund the police. Nobody else in any other part of government ever speaks about taking from A, from the A pot to put into the B pot. If anything, they always just say, well, this is tax people more, which we're gonna get into as well. is so the sure. property tax increases but I'd like to get your views on this whole movement and your thoughts of the Vancouver police department. The, of course the board is, uh, I think mm-hmm. the Vancouver police department is appealing this with the province, if I understand correctly. Sure. sure. So
1: I'm going to stop now. Tell us about your views. On How the Vancouver... much time do we have? How deep do you want to go? <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's see. Okay. So first I want to put out there that, yeah, there are situations that happen that none of us will agree with. And, um, you know, they're actually quite distasteful and, Um, it happens in every single industry, you know, um, medicine, uh, nursing, teaching business, and the police aren't immune to it. And so let's just get that, uh, on the table right now. Um, the great thing about the Vancouver police department, um, is they have a ton of independent oversight for these issues. Can they get better at it? Absolutely. Should we be condoning things that uh, get out of control? Um, Absolutely not. Okay, so I, I wanted to preface what I'm going to say next with that. I think we need to depoliticize the whole issue because when you talk about defund the police what people have images of certain things that like might blow up with the RCMP like in a different province or what's happening let's say in Ferguson or somewhere else in the states and that's just an that's an unfair comparison the Vancouver police department I think we're we're incredibly fortunate to have them uh, it's diverse, uh, police force, 52% of, uh, the workforce is, you know, um, LGBTQ or visible minority. It's diverse, highly educated, and their job responsibility has fundamentally changed over the last 30 years before you could be a beat cop. Now, like you're, you're a social worker, you're, you know, first responder, you're saving people's lives. You're, you know, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And so the job is way more complex. Um, I, if it comes and we need to stop throwing the police under the bus because imagine a world without the Vancouver Police Department. If you look at the calls for the VPD, okay, so the same people that are asking to defund the police and shift uh, that money to uh, social workers and uh, healthcare workers. Most of the calls in the downtown east side for police are actually coming from the hospital, like the nurses and social workers. They actually can't, don't want to go into situations without the Vancouver exactly. Department. And then uh, a lot of, there are a lot of situations where they actually don't have jurisdiction. A social worker can't just go and knock down a door if someone is doing something on the other side. That's right. Help. So it's way more complex. And even if you defunded the police, the funding for the VPD comes from the city of Vancouver. Health actually comes from the province. So even mm-hmm. if you defunded, Like it doesn't make sense on multiple levels. Now, when it comes to budgets, I have a different perspective on budgets. I actually don't believe in across the board cuts. And the reason I don't is like, think of your business. If you're losing money and you have two lines of business and one's losing a lot and one's making money, the worst thing to do is to cut the budgets of everyone. You should be looking at the place that's bleeding cash And say, well, why is it bleeding cash? How do we fix it? Or let's stop it. And the place that's making you money, you should be investing resources into it. Because it's actually going to get you out of your hole. Sure. The reason I brought up that analogy is now's the wrong time to be cutting funding to the Vancouver Police Department. Hate crimes are up, you know. Uh, what 100 uh, yes 131 asian hate crimes are up over 700 percent. people in our city be it strathcona yale town even kits like throughout the city they don't feel as safe as before why are we cutting funding it doesn't make any doesn't sense. make any sense it doesn't make any sense and so i think we can do a lot at the city at the root cause level and if we address those issues by default the place gets better um
0: so in this last budget, uh, there's been another big increase in property taxes, 5%, 7%. I don't know. It's, you can't keep track with all these uh, increases. And it's really, from what I've been hearing, it's it's really impacting property owners. Mm-hmm. And some properties are owners that they live in their homes, but some also are, are landlords. They can't increase their rents anymore because yep. of the provincial restrictions. <clears throat> what are your thoughts on these uh, property tax increases? Do you think it's just a necessity of our times right now? Or do you think it could have been avoided? What are your views? No, we can do way better. Okay, and so that five percent. M- meaning you could raise them more. No, I <laughs> <laughs> can't. Some. some. No. I'd like to raise property taxes by twenty five
1: percent. I'm not even going to go there because that soundbite's going to carry somewhere. <laughs> um, no, that that five percent. Uh, some of it was hidden, and so. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, you you know you can make an argument that it was more than five percent, but let's not go there. Look, we were in a global pandemic. Businesses, everyone was expected to deal with the new reality, mm-hmm. okay? And so I, I look at the restaurant industry. Um, they had to shut down. They, you know, they had to deal with it. Well, first people weren't allowed into the restaurants and they, they had to trick them all out with uh, all the PPE and what have you. Um, and then, you know, they, they went back and forth. They dealt with it, okay? Um, and they didn't increase their prices. And the city should have done the same. They should have been more empathetic, and realized, look, we have a big problem here. And so, if we're asking people, like, if we, if, if we want the city to help these struggling businesses or homeowners or renters, they should have kept their budget flat. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but they didn't. And five percent is. I don't know, maybe four or five times the rate of inflation because inflation is really low right now. It's Mm -hmm. less than 1%. So it it was above inflation on top of that during a global pandemic where everyone was suffering. Mm -hmm. So no, we could have done way better on that file. And people don't realize that it's a big deal and it doesn't take a lot, especially with a lot of these restaurants that are working on really thin margins. You increase property taxes by one or 2%, you could actually, that could be the difference between a business going out of business. Absolutely can become mayor. You're not going to raise property taxes. (laughs) I'm not saying that. What I'm saying Uh is I don't believe in cutting a pie differently. I believe in baking more pies. Okay. Okay. And so I actually will property, will will the tax base go down? Like, um, you know, will the budget go down? Probably not because we're a growing city. Sure. But The property taxes that individuals and businesses pay, I actually believe can go down, okay? And how we get there is we increase the base. So we know people are coming to Vancouver and we know that we're going to be building homes and condo buildings, okay? No one denies that. So now if we just speed up that process and we get more people building what they're going to build anyways faster, then we have a bigger tax base. And we can actually if we grow that tax base greater than our rate of spend, guess what? Property taxes on the on an individual level and on a, a business level will go, go, down. go down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The other thing That's I simple. the other thing I, I'd say, um, back to your other question is, you know, I know there's uh, you know, the government and you know I actually do think in, in a pandemic, it was the right thing to do, not long-term, but the right thing to do to, you know, put a cap on, um, uh, rent increases. Um, the problem with it though, was they actually didn't put a cap on the expenses and that's a big problem. And so what they did was they actually, um, hammered landlords, which will actually hammer, uh, renters in the future, because if you can't, uh, you know, if you're expected to keep your top line the same, but your costs are growing beyond inflation, you know, the city of Vancouver, 5%. Yeah. Why would you ever want to build um, a rental or buy a rental to rent out? You won't. No, and not at all. The people that get hurt the most aren't the people that are developing or the people that are buying because they can just go to Burnaby or somewhere else. Right. It's the people that are actually renting. And it's dear Absolutely. to my heart because we were renters. My family were renters for 12 years.
0: Right. That's a very good point. I think a lot of people don't really understand the sort of unintended consequences of these policies. Yeah. So it's nice to have, I mean, look, you're a CPA. Just to be sure, you've seen a lot of financial statements in your career, yeah. right? Oh, Including your own, yep. Like because you got two businesses. Every, every day. Yeah. Have you ever gone and sat read through the, because uh, I'm, I'm going to nerd out here. Have you ever read through the city of Vancouver's annual financial statements? I have. Is there anything in there that you've seen that you're like, what is this about? We need to have a look at this. And would uh, you do that if you were mayor? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I have. Um, yeah, that document is fundamentally flawed on so many levels. It's a marketing document. Um, do you think there's enough transparency? Uh, you have to look really hard. You have to know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. For example, you know they'll have different schedules that have you know revenues on one page and then the costs associated with those revenues buried in a note you know, five pages later. And so you actually yeah. have to do some work to actually figure it you out. Do. And then you go, wait a sec, that actually makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and so it, that the other part of that document that's flawed is they literally, it's, it's about 650 pages, give or take 50 pages. And they literally throw it on the desks of the mayor and the councillors. So I'm going to defend the mayor and the council on this yeah. one. Okay. They literally give like 10 days, 20. Yeah. 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 It's like a couple of weeks and you have to, you know, it's impossible. It. It's like
0: humanly impossible
1: to read if, through that entire. Thing. If you gave that document to a bunch of, uh, partners at a big accounting firm after two weeks, all they would have for you is a list of clarifying questions. They couldn't even yeah. like comment on whether or not we should be approving it. Um, and I to, saw
0: that budget. And when I saw how big it was, okay. I, I, I thought to myself, can this is this this is the epicenter of the problem here this is document is so huge how can you get 10, 15 days to pass this thing yeah how how can you even govern properly yeah. with something so big and so embedded with so many things that
1: you you, you had it you don't have time to even read it through re, yeah. read through it all well you know if 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 it was your business and someone gave you that document and said, Hey um you have to approve that in two weeks yeah. Um, I'd take that document and so would everyone else and we'd say uh, no and throw it back to that person um, or people and say no give us something that we can understand that's simple and gets to the point. Yeah. That's clear. Yeah. And the sad thing is that budget when you add the capital is over $2 billion a year. Mm -hmm. Those are big numbers.
0: I want to go back to Ken Sim and talk about you and your growing up here in Vancouver Um, in particular one of the questions I have for you is, because you're born and raised here, you're one of five kids. One of five, and you're the you're number four out of that five. You're number five. You're the youngest. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you've obviously seen a bunch of mayors come and go from both childhood and adulthood.
1: I don't remember the ones when I was a little kid. Yeah, so. that's okay. I'm not. This is not a history
0: <laughs> test. Don't <laughs> okay. worry. But are there any that you saw in your first of all? Did you th- ever see yourself like when you're a kid you're like i can't wait to be mayor of vancouver one day
1: i didn't even see that in april of 2018 on <laughs> <laughs> really yeah so this is a very new concept for you yeah like i've always been intrigued with uh, politics and i do believe i i, I learned at the turn of the century um it's actually important and yeah. you know uh, our institutions actually make a big difference and we have to invest in those institutions and it's not about throwing money at the problem it's like we literally need to roll up our sleeves and uh, add in any which way we can or we're in trouble and so but no uh, I decided to run for mayor on Friday April the 13th because on Wednesday April the 11th I said no <laughs> really oh yeah. <laughs> yeah that's another story okay. that's, that's for another time So when
0: you look back to your, uh, the the period of time when you were younger, um, in your adolescence, your, 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 your young adulthood, and you looked at the mayors of previous generations or previous times right up until, um, let's not include Kennedy Stewart, but let's say right up to Gregor Robertson. Are there any things that you've looked at in those mayors that you've gone, well, like if I'm a mayor, I, I hope I have that same kind of panache or attitude or approach or sure. things, something that maybe one of them did that you're like yeah. that, that was a really good like for i'll start gregor robertson i kind of like the bike lanes he created i think it's done a lot for our city and a lot of people are going to shoot me for saying that because they don't like the bike lanes but i i'm an advocate of it yeah. um you know i think you can go too far but i think he did a really good job and started off with broad street bridge yeah. and i love the crafty way he did it because he said it was a temporary bike lane yeah. with those massive cement you know whatever you call them meridians that were like yeah, never going to sure. be moved again yeah tell me is there any anybody that's inspired you
1: yeah each one uh and it doesn't matter what political stripe they wore um you know i i don't uh, go through life saying oh i don't like that person because they don't agree with you know what my basic ideology is so mm-hmm. um yeah for sure every single one including the current mayor, there's something good that i will i will definitely pick out um but i i think it to answer your question, Philip Owen. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is he championed the four pillars. And that, that in itself isn't remarkable. What was remarkable was he did it even though he lost a lot. He knew he was going to lose a lot of friends over it because he had a lot of friends that didn't agree with him. But he did it anyways. And so I don't it doesn't even matter if i think it's the right policy or not i admire him because he did what he thought was right at an incredible cost to himself and he still did it yeah and like he gives me goosebumps well and that's so, inspiring yeah 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 well you're
0: gonna be running for mayor next year uh hopefully you got to win. Well, your nomination. I, I, I'm I'm
1: running right now. I've You're been running, running now. For two years. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm doing it.
0: What can people do to help get involved and in helping support you and your your goal to eventually become mayor of Vancouver?
1: Uh, a couple of things. Well, first, I, I'll preface this with, um, you know, we're creating a movement here, and it's bigger than any one person, including myself. You know, I know what my role is in this movement, um, but it's going to take it's going to take a village. And so I want people to join the movement and stand shoulder to shoulder with me and together before, during and after the election. We are going to reshape our city because, you know, while I'll be mayor, all the great ideas are going to come from the residents. And and so, you know, we need everyone to be part of that movement, how they can join the movement. Hit my website, kensim.ca and um that that's my personal website yeah. and just uh subscribe to my website that that would be awesome the second thing is uh visit a better city it's a better dot city like it's not a better city.ca or whatever it's a better dot city and just uh check them out um become a member and um be part of the movement is your cost to becoming a member of a better yeah society? i think it's 25 bucks if you're a kid or um over a certain age i think it's ten dollars yeah um but it's uh you know it the the one thing i love about the movement is everyone talks about the left and right all the time right like you know uh, you have to be right wing or you have to be left wing and if you were to look at me i'm a mixture of all four political parties you know there's a federal t- in me, there's a federal liberal in me, there's actually an NDPer in me. And I think everyone that lives in Vancouver, there's a, a green in them. Yeah. Okay? Like, yeah, I gotta. Yeah. And it's not that we have to, that's why we're here. We yeah. love the environment. Yeah. And so to say, you know, to pigeonhole people into left or right, especially at the civic level, I think is completely ridiculous. And so a better city bridges that gap. Um, There are people from all different backgrounds, from all different political parties that have joined that board. And all we ask is for people to leave their colors at the table because there's no left or right when it comes to having vibrant neighborhoods or safe and clean streets or attainable housing for anyone who wants to live in Vancouver or a vibrant, you know, small business community. Like, is that a left or right thing or is that just a smart thing? Mm Mm-hmm. You know and so that's what a better city is all about. So, and it's in the name, it's in the name. I love who do, it. Who doesn't want a better city? Yeah, be, always be closing, always be closing.
0: <laughs> 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 all right, well, Ken Sim, uh, future mayoral candidate for city of Vancouver in their 2022 election under a better city. You got to win that nomination round first, then you'll be uh, uh, running up against a few other people who've been announcing their names this week and last week, and of course, Kennedy Stewart. I wish you the best. I think you're a great candidate to be mayor of the city. So thank you. Hopefully, maybe in a year and a half, we'll see Mayor Sim coming back onto Coastal Front.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully it's just Mayor Ken. Yeah. I don't take myself, <laughs> you know, I shouldn't say too seriously, but I don't take myself yeah. too seriously. I'm just another guy. <laughs> so.
0: Well, this is great. Thanks for coming on the show today, Ken. Best of luck to you. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.